0: From Egg. One thing that we always hear in our podcasts is how critically important and difficult it is to build a talent engine for a startup. In fact, in a recent research project, which we completed to holistically consider the most consistent and critical challenges that our founders experience when building a high growth company, building a talent engine ranked as the most challenging for all founders across every stage, geographic region, industry, or application of technology. For every founder of every stripe, the talent engine remained the most difficult component to get right. And so in response, we're building a new function at SquarePeg to help our portfolio founders establish world-class talent foundations for their companies. And we're hiring a global head of talent to build towards our five-year vision for a world-class talent platform at Squarepeg, working alongside our portfolio and team. The role is unique in that it focuses on foundation building for scale. To us, this means consulting on a founder's long-term organizational design and talent needs, advising on the most effective talent strategies, developing a global pool of exceptional senior executives, a network of world-class search firms and recruiters, building a resource bank of benchmarks and best practices for recruitment, compensation, and talent management, as well as leading talent in. terms. At SquarePeg. We've structured this role in direct consultation with our founders with the intention to offer support at moments of transformation, post investment, pre scaling, and around critical hires. It's a rare role and gives someone the opportunity to work alongside our founders, who I think are some of the most inspirational, purposeful people in the world. On today's episode, we have a collection of stories from our founders, some new and some old, that will explore what it's like to build a talent function in a high growth company. For the most part, this is a wide ranging selection of stories and commentary about a few key components of team building that we thought complemented and contradicted each other in a sufficient enough dose that it may inspire you to think differently about this Very critical topic. And to begin, we're starting with Ashik Ahmed, the CEO and co founder of Deputy, an Australian tech company used by hundreds of thousands of businesses worldwide to roster their teams and facilitate teamwork. This year, Ashik plans to hire 100 people, with another 100 roles likely next year. And having already grown the team to over 200 people, Ashik's been through one phase of scaling already. And in his experience, scaling successfully is akin to growing a human body.
1: I almost relate this to um, when I had children and babies growing up, okay? A lot of growing pain, okay, kids go through, and it's very similar to an organization. You're, the company is almost like a human body itself. Like If you're going to double the size of the company, like if you were to double your own body height today, And think about this, you just doubled your height and doubled your weight, but you didn't strengthen your spine or your vertebrae, okay, or (laughs) your knee. The body is going to collapse, doesn't it? And that is the exact same thing happens with scaling companies, okay? If you don't have strong system process and leadership, especially on supporting joints, you can literally cause the body to collapse in there. So... The mistake many people, many organizations make, and we have made it ourselves to some degree, is that when you hire really, really fast and you don't have the necessary processes and systems um, in place in terms of how you hire, how you onboard, how you provide, you know, performance framework, grow your managers, there's a whole lot of different things to get done correctly. And if you don't do that, then uh, things Lack of a better word, and I'm really trying to think of a socially acceptable word over here, shit can hit a uh, fan.
0: That is putting it mildly. So scaling isn't just about the bones, it's about the muscle, the connective tissue, the nerves, and when a company scales without building out thoughtfully, can slow progress down. But there are other components to be aware of.
1: Do not hire on just because of raw talent, hire because people are able to leave your values. It is super important, okay? I have seen very talented people getting hired, but they're not able to leave the values of the organization. And they cause they either cause organ rejection of other people in your, in your company or self altern reject. And depending on where you're hiring these individuals, how high um, in the leadership, the damage can be pretty extensive. So, I would say that getting your hiring right. And to the point, I mean, one thing I have done and is I actually, I've been a final kind of interviewer for many, many roles in the organization. Like every interview, doesn't matter whether it's a leadership role or individual contributor role, I have been a final interviewer. And when I have delegated that, I have delegated to the respective department leader in there. And I would have done a lot of pair interviews with them and share our notes that hey we are this is how we are testing for this value these are the these are the things that are important to us like you know doesn't matter how where they have worked what their resume looks like what other great talent they have no it's very important that you ensure that you're hiring people that are able to live your values and will grow and add to your culture and look it, it's super important i mean if you, companies are people powered machines you got to get the people right you don't get the people right Doesn't matter what else have you got, Great.
0: The importance of culture and value rings true for practically all the founders we've spoken to in the SquarePak podcasts, including Vaughan Ferguson, who founded Vend, a breakthrough point of sales system which was sold for hundreds of millions in March, 2021.
2: Culture is so hard to astroturf into a startup or into a business later. Like it it needs to start with the founders and it needs to be authentic. It, It just needs to be the, you know, being reflective of your values as a human because that's something that's always been important to us at the end is like we want people to be themselves and we want them to connect to our values. Like if they if they have an allergic reaction to one of our core values, then you know it's not gonna work out. And so you know we want to make sure we wanted to make sure that people could see our values loud and clear from the outside before they even joined the company. And it worked as a great recruitment strategy as well, because people would hear about, you know, the, the quirky culture at Vend and the parties that we would have. And, you know, it'd be interesting to them
0: Rob Philpott and Lee Jasper the founders of Aconex, an ASX-listed public company that revolutionized the way the construction industry collaborated through technology. The company was so successful that it was sold for $1.6 billion, and Rob and Lee are now investors themselves. The guys told us at SquarePeg that not only is culture important, but it starts with good leadership and living and breathing your own values.
3: Because I think culture's one of those funny things you can't go off and have an off site and say what do we want it to be and write it down on a bit of paper that doesn't work right it, ha- it comes from the collective personalities of everyone in the organisation but you can easily lose it by bringing the wrong people in or having the wrong attitude or having things that poison it so you've got to be really careful about keeping it because once it's gone it's it's like putting lightning back in a bottle it doesn't happen.
4: I think you have to have your culture connected throughout your organization in a real way, in a real way, and to your customer. And uh, that's sort of what I mean, but specifically connecting through the business. So firstly, Rob and I had to be that culture. So if we wanted people to respect everybody, to respect other people, we had to respect them, you know, it's just, you, you can't expect a team to do something different to the leaders in the business.
0: Mika Kaufman, CEO and founder of Fiverr, also spoke about culture in his podcast. Going as far as to say you need to almost obsess about it. And I think of Mika as someone who really understands team building and culture development. So um, this is what he had to say.
3: You know, a lot of entrepreneurs are asking, how did you build the unique culture that we have in Fiverr? And the first answer is you build a strong culture by caring about culture. You can't have a strong culture if culture is not important for you. If it is, you, you spend time thinking about what do you guys stand for? You know, what are the company values? What's the operating system, you know, the principles in which you operate? It's all about talent. And this, this is super unique in this this is really one of those things that define us as a, as a culture. These are the people that we work for, and the team understand that. And, and the way that the the offices were designed, even, is that we mostly sit in you know in open spaces, and you have a line of sight at the office to something that was done by our community, things that were designed for the office by sellers on Fiverr. So this is a a great reminder of who you work for and i think this is very strong but beyond that it's it's the the way we operate as as a business we exercise things like radical transparency and candor we talk about things very openly we encourage people to speak up we have a structure for the team but we don't have any of this bullshit of you can't talk to your boss's boss you can and you should you know i think you know Having a very strong culture is instrumental for, for, for the things that we want to do, for our resilience, for our ability to take complex challenges and and find solutions. When you have a team that is very close, a team that a lot of respect, a team that doesn't spend time in office politics, but allows or understands the importance of teamwork a team that understands that no one in the team is a black box with input and output every person in the company understands the company's mission and they understand how their specific role contributes to achieving the company's goals you create hyper alignment when you do that amazing things happen you 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 get tremendous amount of innovation that comes from every part of the organization people speak up people are connected to what they're doing because you never know who's going to who's going to come with the with the next great idea we think that this is one of our superpowers the fact that we have we have many offices around the world and we have many people with with different backgrounds and that brings so much color so many perspectives into everything we do
0: Anthony from Think and Grow, the recruitment agency is helping us find our head of talent, agrees wholeheartedly with Mika's statement and the importance of values fit and culture add.
2: When it comes to talent, so often when talking to founders and this goes from sort of seed and Series A all the way through a couple of different stages, a lot of founders talk about you know the beer test and the importance of cultural fit and there's you know a lot of literature out there that says hire for culture and you know it's the most important thing. And what I find is founders really lean into that pretty hard and they hire great people that they love hanging around. But what they haven't actually done is codified what culture actually means to to them. They haven't distilled it down to a, a set of principles or organizational values that they can actually uh, then run candidates through a test to measure truly how well they're actually standing up to the culture the culture of the organization who what they do very well is hire people that 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 they like what they actually end up doing poorly is hiring people that are uh, good cultural fits for the broader organization and so this over-indexing on people that we like can sometimes then result in not hiring people with deep enough skills expertise or knowledge and the biggest problem that we tend to have particularly in Australia is there's just not enough talent that has actually done it before and so what you end up having is this sort of scenario of what we call the blind leading the blind where you've got a first time founder which is often the case in Australia kind of figuring out this thing of how do you grow and build a successful business and then you have the majority of the talent in the organization also having to figure out that same journey. And what we'd love to see change is there's a better mix of people in the organization that have done it before. And that's where we come. The practical things that go wrong range from the very kind of simple to, you hire too many people with a C-suite or VP title very early on in the organization. And so you have all these kind of and, and not enough people actually doing, doing the work. That's probably one of the problems we, we come across the most. But to be honest, it ranges from the very basic of actually not writing job descriptions for people, not thinking about not so much the problems that you need to solve now, but the problems that you're likely to have to solve in 18 months. And so the hiring you're doing now is often very focused on solving a specific problem that's in front of you, as opposed to the problem that's uh, actually a lot bigger and a lot more juicy that's coming down the track. And so it's actually almost applying the mistake they make is is, is not applying the same thinking process that they might apply to you know building a product or or figuring out what investor they, they would love to invest in in the business in the sense that you know you go and do some market analysis you go and figure out who you would like you go and pitch to them and uh, you know sell hard to, to try and win them over. And you create, a va- most importantly, a value proposition that speaks um, really strongly to them. And so within that value proposition is that for, for someone looking for work is anything from a clear job description to obviously role title to remun- remuneration to actually having clear expectations of what the role is that they're going to do. And with that in mind, there's a pathway in which they're set up for success in the organization. So that's anything from on day one, you've got a laptop and you can actually open it and start doing some work right through to you've actually got a budget. If you're, say, a growth marketer to go and acquire some customers. So all of those different things are things that we see go wrong.
0: So these are some common things that founders often get wrong. And Olympia Yaga, the founder of Gotera, a waste management system that uses maggot robots to tackle climate change, overcame this very issue at the beginning of her hiring journey.
5: I think that the biggest thing that I've done wrong is every time it hasn't worked out has been because I have somewhere in the decision-making process fallen prey to ideology, impression perception you're it's like oh this is the kind of person i should be hiring at this stage this is this person will make people think that we're legitimate or this this candidate is the kind of candidate that people would expect us to hire and i feel sometimes a little bit unsure because the people that i resonate to tend to not fit in those molds and so then you have those competing feelings where you're like oh, am I uncoachable? Am I one of those CEOs that never hires the, this, the good people that are better than they are? You know, like, as we're all trying to live up to these incredibly difficult goals of like, hire people that are better than you. I'm like, what? Like, yes, but what does that look like? And how do I know if they're better than me? And how if I know they're the right better than me? And how do I, know? like, what if they're better than me, but I hate them and they suck? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, you've got this sort of really weird aspirational direction. And then and then no no information on how to execute on that idea of hiring good people and and so yeah the times i've got it wrong is when i've tried to hire someone that fit a mold or perception of a certain role and i've gone more for the person that fit the sort of stereotype that you read about than i did the person that i liked or felt would do a good job I don't know what the answer to that is for everyone but I know for us what we've fallen back on and what our head of people Laura has just managed to do really really well is just keep coming back to that first principle of who are you know yourself as a company and if you can just lean on that as hard as you can then you will build the framework and the metrics to go if we are who we say we are then this person must be able to do this, they must look like this, and they have to deliver on this. And if the person that we're speaking to today doesn't do that, then they can't be here because it doesn't matter if they're the former CEO of, I don't know, Ford, they're not gonna be uh, the best person for us because two of these things do not work or fit. So yeah, just having the confidence to know who you are as a business and what your business actually needs And I just, again, I think it's unfortunately one of those things that just iteratively you get better at, but inherently you're going to fail at each time you have that leap forward and your business sort of grows up and you're like, ah, that worked a year ago and now we're like bigger and shit. So I don't know, I think the biggest thing with people is you have to be compassionate to yourself and and be honest with your team. And so, be honest about when you're bringing people on, be really upfront about what you're looking for. I, I think it's really important to bring, particularly when you're small, bring your rest of your staff on the hiring journey.
0: Bilad Gill the serial entrepreneur, operating executive and investor or advisor to companies such as Airbnb, Pinterest, Square and Stripe, also stressed the importance of having a balance between hiring for experience versus hiring for potential.
6: We had much, better experience in the company when hiring let's say for potential so uh, really really smart people that have a good cultural fit typically can learn the job but it, it changes over time but i think you want to have a, a good mix of people that bring a lot of knowledge into the organization versus people that were really hungry ambitious smart and you know can learn the role for me building the right team is like building i don't know a, a soccer team Sometimes you need to have like really strong people in offense, so let's call them the the potential, and you need to have some defensive players as well, which are more the knowledge. So you need to kind of get, have a good mix. Yeah, I think it was first and foremost it started with hiring, right? Before you before you do anything else, it's it's about hiring the right people. And at the early days, as a founder, you were involved in every in every hire. So it was. It was aligning with the rest of the interview team. What are the cultures and what do they need to look for? And A, we had some conversation around that, but I think we learned more by example, like does this fit the culture we want or does that candidate or does that candidate fit the culture we want or need? So I think the the most important thing is for me at the beginning was get, is be really close to the interview process because that, that was the critical thing. And the team is, is not big enough for things to, to go out of hand. When we grew, however, and now we're you know, upwards of 100 people, so it's, it's becoming more and more difficult to maintain culture.
0: But when it comes to hiring people who are hungry for the challenge, no one understands this more clearly than Ben Fisterer, the founder of Zella, who's building better business banking in Australia.
4: So there's this, all right, who's in our network? Who do we know? Who do we trust? But you had to get every hire right. There's no opportunity to just, oh, they'll be okay. They'll learn. It's like, no, you have to get people who are hungry. You have to get people who go, this is ridiculously hard. And you're not coming to work at a company, a high growth company like Zeller or any sort of, financial services start up to say, I'm going to cruise, or I'm just going to have fun in this fintech world. It's really, really hard. So if you're wired that way, and if you're like, I love challenges, I love working with smart people, I love being pushed, I love making sure that I'm growing as well, those sort of people you want, and they can come from any stages in their career.
0: And Ben had this to say on finding those people who are up for the challenge.
4: My thesis on this is, Pretty simple that talent attracts talent.
0: In our experience, this is true too. My colleague Ed recently wrote a brilliant long-form exploration of Southeast Asia's ecosystem, which demonstrates that like all mature ecosystems in the world, talent and capital move in dense circles. But what happens when you begin to scale? Well, this is where Ashik from Deputy believes that all founders make one mistake.
1: Who becomes a manager for an early growth? Sorry, for a tech company where, you know, when you have seven or ten people and as the company grows, you know, somebody who was the sole engineer or somebody who is the, you know, salesperson or customer success or w- whatever role you want to take. All of a sudden is growing. Now you want to, you know, and given their, their first, you know, quite often they become the lead. OK, and then they hire. But this person had never had any management experience, nor they have had any leadership experience. And by the way, it's very important to. Recognize that leadership and management are two separate things. Okay, leadership and management are two separate things. We are all awed by everything about being a leader, from listening to everything Simon Sinek has to say, or other great leaders or uh, leadership preachers have to say. But management is underrated. Management is underrated in this world, and and quite often the person who becomes a manager, you probably haven't educated sorry, you probably haven't trained them or educated them on what it means to be a manager. It's not just giving orders. The the Responsibility they must have towards the people they're hiring, how they're hiring, how they're setting setting them up for se- for success. Quite often, these things are not trained. You haven't actually, you know, grown the manager, and then you have just tried to grow the team underneath an individual contributor, thinking that they will learn to manage. You know, startups are like building a plane while you're flying it but accidents can happen and the most common accident is that happens in in that analogy is actually some of those people who are supposed to be managers didn't want to be managers and doesn't have the humility and hunger to get to be to be manager and this is something that we have definitely you know got wrong in our side i have got it wrong personally myself first of all as your company grows any system framework process you can think about those things will need to grow. What will work for you when you're 50 to 100 people is not going to work for you when you are at uh, 200 to 500 people or at 1,000 or 2,000 or 3,000. The leadership maturity and everything that you actually will adopt will also need to adapt <laughs> as your company is going through that transformation. Uh, and that includes leadership as well, people in leadership. And uh, no, look, I mean, th- th- there's nothing. There's I'm trying. I'm really trying to think in here that what was working for us when we are at 10 or 20 people worked for us when it was, in you know, a 100. Maybe there are a few things in there, but a, a lot of rituals that we started doing is not, not working, okay? And it was almost broken. And here's the thing. This is, this is a good way to identify what's going to break. This is laws of physics. Things don't break. Things stretch before they break. If something you have found just broken, that means you're not just watching it, okay? Or you have ignored all these stress signals. What are stretch signals? People complaining, people whinging, people still accepting the broken way of doing things because they can't be bothered changing it and just going with it. Quite often, things that are stretched or will stretch don't come up as stretched because there's a rockster who is managing it and they just know how to manage this stretching thing. And one day that rockster goes on holiday, he or she leaves the organization or has some family emergency for which they have to be absent for work. and then you see, oh my God, so yeah there's nothing in a in a growing and, and by the way, I, must, I don't want to paint a really horrible picture over here. These are all common problems, okay for any growing startup. doesn't matter whether you are or or Amazon or Atlassian or deputy, everyone goes through these pain and problems. Knowing about it and planning for it ahead of it, Will make your life better don't die my advice to other fellow entrepreneurs is don't die look another way of thinking about this and especially this will resonate well those who have a computer science or software engineering background like when you started writing your code okay the first line of code okay there's a framework or there's a database service or whatever you're using that might have worked really well for say the mvp or even for your first hundred customers but if you start scaling you get the 1000 customer 10000 uh, customer okay all of a sudden it's a million level million X load on the system okay than originally what you had designed of course you didn't think about all the scalability things when you were putting that putting that in but if you keep shoving it down there it's going to cause a lot of problem and then you talk about doing a complete rewrite your complete a complete replatform and when you're doing a replatform or a rewrite of your application, you're not adding any new feature or delivering new value for your customer. And I think everybody in the tech industry at one point had to go through, depending on your lifecycle, some level of free platform in there, you know, libraries age, frameworks age, you know, cloud providers bring out new solutions or new services that you want to migrate to. And when you do that, there's a cost to it, is the very same thing when you don't get some of these systems, processes, or organizational designs right. Except I think, the pain of doing a re-platform is compared to a re-architecture of an organizational design is a tickle, okay? it's a, it, a, Doing a re-platform of a code base is probably a tickle compared to having to do a re-platform or re-architecture of your org design. The key thing over here is prioritization, okay? It's not about the things that you have to prioritize. It's the, key, the, the, the key word over here is prioritization. It's, it's a really hard job to prioritize, and it's not easy simply because, you know, as a tech founder if you're the CEO of the company you know the way I often define my job is like you know, usually the worst of worst problems land in my plate it's like nobody in the food chain could solve it so I by default end up and and you're always fighting fires and you're always just addressing the fires just right in front of you and you don't ever get time to think about what's going to happen in in future so it's really important to cancel the annoyance of urgency and focus on what's going to be important. And a framework to use over here, and if you, it's it's very well described in Patty McRord's book. It, she, she describes that, think about this. Let's picture five years into the future. Where do you see the company? Five, 10, pick a number, pick a number and look back from there. Imagine that world, okay, that, hey, all these great things are happening in your company. What does the company needs to be to support that vision of yours? Who do you see around the table? What are the specific departments or functions? What are they doing? How are they humming? It's really hard to paint that picture. But my message to other tech founders as well, if you can imagine your company for the success it is at the moment, you can also imagine the success it will be in five years time. And if you can picture that, then draw back from there. Where are you now and where you need to be? What are the specific steps you need to take? What are the changes you need to make? Who do you have around the table? Do you see them scaling? Have you set them up for success? Have they set their team up for success? That's a very impo- this, There's a lot of philosophical things I'm saying. I'm probably saying it a lot easier, than, but the work to do over here is very, very hard. I've had to do that. It has taken me a lot of time to do that. You almost have to pull yourself out of the business to go and do this, but it's very important that this work gets done. And... Some of the uh, best people in the business that I have had the good fortune of working with or learning from them.
0: In truth, it's rare for me to meet a scaled team that hasn't had some major people and culture replatforming over the years. It's partly why we're focusing the SquarePak role on helping build foundations that scale. Another key element to teams that scale well was the absence of internal politics and the evidence of adaptability and prioritisation. Our very own Paul Bassett, co-founder of Squarepeg, has said exactly this about the $8 billion company he co-founded with his brother Andrew Seek.
4: No one felt like someone stepping on their turf. Anyone could talk to anyone in the company. I could. I mean, one of the things I loved most was sort of spending time with the, the the team in customer in customer service who were really close to the coalface, I used to you know for a couple of hours every month I'd double jack with them and listen in on calls and stuff to understand what clients were saying and what they were hearing and stuff. But you know that was I think again an important part of the culture where there was a, just an absence of hopefully I. Fairly good absence of hierarchy. We always used to say at Seek that, that you know strategy was a top-down thing, but culture was a bottom-up thing. And it was really important for us that there be a huge sense of ownership by the entire team in the culture of the organisation and setting the tone on a whole lot of things. And a lot of the best things that we did or a lot of mistakes that we fixed were a product of, of people in the organisation just taking ownership and saying, hey, I want to run with this. So there is an element of sort of bottom-up, for want of a better term, but there, there absolutely is an element of top-down. Which is, I think, you know, by definition, culture is set pretty early and it becomes self-perpetuating because to some extent, you know, A, we, we, we often hire people that look and feel a little bit like us, but also people tap into a culture and behave in a certain way driven by that culture. I mean, you use a, this is a really simplistic example, but if I'm in a city that is kind of pristine, if I'm a tourist and I'm walking around a city that's pristine and, you know, the parks are perfect and no one throws any rubbish then there's no way I'm going to throw any, throw any rubbish on the ground. You know, on the other hand, if it's a city where there's sort of litter everywhere, I'm probably not going to think twice and sort of say, what difference does it make? I may as well chuck this old Coke can on, on the street as well. So I do think the sort of culture, to some extent, culture is self-perpetuating and I think the influence of founders in, in setting that culture both explicitly and implicitly yeah, is, of course, really, really important.
0: You touched on hiring, which you spent, I think, close to about 20% of your time doing at SEEK. Can you walk us through how you thought or, or, or think about it now?
4: I think for us, I mean, we used to think about it as a sort of two-dimensional thing. I now think about it as a three-dimensional thing. There's sort of three ways of thinking about candidates. One is values. I think it's really important to sort of understand that when you think about values, these are subjective things. It's not that people are good or people are bad. It's just that what are the things that are important to your organisation and how aligned are those individuals to the things that are important to your organisation? So that's one attribute is values alignment. The second attribute is is sort of, I can't think of a better term, but sort of horsepower, you know, natural ability, raw raw potential, weather and Potential is different for different jobs. I mean, some jobs require a lot of creativity, other jobs require amazing attention to detail. If you're in sales type roles, the ability to build relationships with people is obviously a lot more important than maybe if you're a software engineer, for example. But you know what we'd call potential horsepower was was the sort of is the second attribute, and then the third attribute is experience. I think at Seek, particularly in the early years, we unashamedly put values ahead of experience or horsepower. I think it's really important that when you hire people actually thinking about the need of the role, thinking about the people who are successful in your organization, actually saying, well, being really conscious about it, being purposeful rather than kind of just sort of happening is, am I going to optimize for values alignment? Am I going to optimize for experience? My personal view is most organizations tend to optimize for experience. And I think that's often a mistake. I think they give too much weight to experience. And in some jobs, I mean, hiring a pilot, experience is pretty important. If a hospital is looking for a brain surgeon, experience is pretty important. But a lot of other roles, my personal bias has always been to optimise probably first and foremost values and secondly, horsepower for want of a better term.
0: So that's how we look at it. And as you can hear, there are many different ways to scale a company, many different approaches, different ways to prioritize skills versus potential versus values fit. And I hope you took something from everyone that you just heard from. So we'll bring it back to Anthony with his global perspective of tech companies to understand if there are any important trends that founders can learn from now.
2: So what we notice in the U.S. is one of your first 10 hires will likely be a recruiter in the business. And we don't see that happen here until the company is about 40 or 50 people. And so investing in actually building up a function that's going to make, call it, the people part of your business, your superpower is not something we see companies here do until a lot later. When we see a talent function work incredibly well, there's So the way to think about an amazing talent function is to think about what they're doing is similar to any sort of marketing funnel in that you've got to think about acquisition and then you've also got to think about retention. And so in the case of people looking for work or, or, or potential candidates, you've got to have ways in which you're going to acquire them and then once they join, you've got to engage them. The very best candidate talent functions are thinking about both of those things at the same time. And so the measurements they're putting in place move all the way through the funnel where they're thinking about, well, how does how, how the activities that we're doing to try and find the right people to join our organization then result in better retention of those people over time, and so for for us, that's what the most amazing talent functions are doing. And then they have measurement through all different parts of the of the funnel. So someone like somewhere like Canva has a, an amazingly well oiled uh, machine in how they uh, go about recruitment. So it's probably probably one of the best examples in Australia.
0: Anthony finished up with a final piece of advice on hiring.
2: Some of the other things that we find important, firstly, as a, as a founder, it's okay to hire people that are paid more than you. It's probably one of the, uh, the pills that you'll find you'll need to swallow fairly early on in, in the journey. And we encourage you to sort of lean into that. It is what it is and just take it for what it is and just accept that people are going, going to get paid more than you for, for a while. That's one thing. The other is setting KPIs uh, and goals for the people that you're hiring, and doing so before you start the hiring process, as opposed to waiting until they join and then setting those up. The reason why we like to do it upfront is because what it helps to do is it forces you to ask the question, can this person hit those KPIs and goals, as opposed to doing asking the question once they join.
0: But I wanted to finish this podcast with a fantastic final word from Anna White, the CEO of Vend.
4: Hire people that are better than you, you know, hire people that you would want to work for and don't be intimidated about bringing in brilliant people because a brilliant team with a whole lot of energy and passion and clear kind of strategic direction can do amazing things. Then those people will hire the best teams around them and you just get that that brilliant flywheel of, of just
0: A players everywhere. All in all, I hope you can hear just how vital our founders know it to be to hire brilliant people and empower them effectively within their organization. As we continue on our mission to empower the exceptional, we hope to find our talent leader who can establish this exciting new practice at SquarePeg and empower the lives of thousands of people within our portfolio of extraordinary founders and team members. If you're curious about the global head of talent role at SquarePeg, you can find details on our blog at spc.vc. And if you want to find out about other talent roles in SquarePeg's portfolio, this week's All Signal newsletter is dedicated to open roles in talent teams across the global portfolio at all levels of seniority. So you should sign up for that online too. If you want to hear any more from any of the founders we've included in this episode, you can learn more about their journey and background in our previous SquarePeg podcasts. A big thanks as ever to Sarah, our producer, for stitching this episode together and to the brilliant founders of Deputy, Vend, Akinex, Seek, Zella, Fiverr, and Color Genomics for their insights today. We'll catch you soon.